Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Henry Ford, right? That guy, he believed in an automobile. He pursued that dream, but he had a good friend named Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison said, it isn't a good idea for you to try to work on this thing called an automobile. In fact, history tells us that Edison offered Ford a job to come work for him and to get a real life. But Ford was steadfast, persistent in his dream, and it's a good thing or else you'd have been riding horses to church this morning. The Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville, they had the audacity to believe that man could fly. <laughs> but they had friends, they had journalists, and they had a father who their own father said it was too costly and it was an insane waste of money to try this. But because of their steadfastness in pursuing their dream, aren't you thankful, man, that we can fly? Your steadfastness is a level above faithfulness. You were with us last week. We were diving into the subject of faithfulness and saw that Daniel was a faithful man. But you see, steadfastness is when you take faithfulness and you just never give up. Steadfastness is when you're completely unmoved in your faithfulness. It's when you're fixed and you're unchanging. The idea of being steadfast evokes thoughts of strength and intensity. To be steadfast is really to grab a hold of, even to clutch the promises of God with such an intensity that it would resemble how a drowning man reaches for a life raft. This morning, I don't know what you brought into the room, but you could be here. And because of your faithfulness and your steadfastness, you may be facing persecution this morning. And you just say, hey, man, this is getting hard and this is getting heavy. I want to know how I can be steadfast. Or maybe, maybe you're in a season of life and you've brought in with you some things and things are just really, just really rough. It's been a season of providing for somebody. It's a, been a season of taking care of somebody. It's been a hard season in your job. I don't know, but, but you, you really need to rely on someone and you don't know who that is. Maybe you're in a situation, you just simply need to be rescued. You've been praying, God, please help me. Please get me out of this. I mean, maybe you're in a situation, unless God comes through, you're absolutely doomed. Maybe you walked in this morning and you're wondering, does my life even make a difference? Am I, am I really getting any, any results? I don't really know what you came in with this morning, but I know this, all of us as followers of Christ really want to remain steadfast, and we just want to know, God, how do we do this? How do we keep pressing on. And I think that's where the Word of God comes in this morning. We're going to look at the rest of Daniel chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Daniel chapter 6, that'd be great. We're not going to have the, the Word up on the screen like we normally do as we go along. I'm going to have you in the Word itself this morning. So there's copies of God's Word in the seats, underneath the seats around you. This is a great time for you to pull out your phone if you need to. I uh, don't recommend that, but if you forgot your Bible and you want to pull out a phone, open up the app to your Bible app, it's a great time to do that. Or just better yet, cheat off your neighbor. I'm sure they brought a Bible with them. So we're going to learn this morning, and I'm going to try to do this quickly. It depends on how fast y'all listen this morning. If y'all listen fast, we'll get through this. And if not, you know, so, so listen fast, all right? We're going to look at five, five principles about steadfastness 
And we're going to land somewhere that, that I really don't want you to miss. So if you're going to sleep, do so now, and then I'll wake you up in about 25 minutes. That sound good? Because I don't want you to miss the last part. Here, there you go, 30. All right, you want an extra five. I can do that. We'll hit snooze at 25 and let you work for five more. Here's the deal, man. The first thing this morning, I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to be reading 16 and on, but we're going to start a little bit previous because I need to back up. We're going to be steadfast, though. Here's the thing we need to know. Retaliation is inevitable. Retaliation is inevitable. Look back in your Bibles, and that's why I wanted you to be there. Look back in verse 5 of chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 says this, Then the men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. If you will remember... They were trying to set Daniel up to find something against him so they could throw him in the lion's den. They knew they weren't going to do it in the political end, but they were going to do it in his faith with God. And then down in verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, there's this document that's been signed that they have to be thrown in the lion's den unless they pray to the king. He entered his house, now the roof chamber. He had his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then... Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they got together and said, hey, king, didn't you sign something that any man who did this should be thrown into the lion's den? Now, it would seem that this story took place in one day, that in the morning they brought the decree for the king to sign. At noon, they were in, by Daniel's house watching him pray. And then by the afternoon, they had the edict signed and his death sentence was already there. He would be put in the lion's den by evening. That was a Persian cult, uh, cultural custom that a death or an execution should be carried out before nightfall. So this probably again happened in the course of a single day. They knew that Daniel was devoted to his God and they knew that his love for God would always be paramount and that he was going to pray no matter what so they knew they could catch him. And here's what I'm here today to tell you. Retaliation for being steadfast in your faith is inevitable. You and I are not gonna get through this Christian life without some scars. There's gonna be some wounds, sometimes physical, sometimes literal. There's going to be some persecution and here's why. Because you're a part of the kingdom of light. And out there is the kingdom of darkness in which you used to be a part of. And when the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness collide, there's going to be some fireworks. And Paul put it this way. We've heard this before. But over in 1 Timothy, he said, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise of Jesus. Now, you're not going to go down to some antique fair and find that promise to put on your refrigerator. I promise you, nobody's putting that one on their fridge. Because if you're steadfast, others are going to know about your Christian life. And if other people know about you being a Christian and how you live a life, there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to like you because of that. Matter of fact, they're going to talk behind your back. They're going to marginalize you. Matter of fact, you may not get up the promotional level that you're supposed to simply because you're a believer. And here's what I found out, that when, when people retaliate, it's usually with their mouths. Usually with their mouths, they retaliate with their mouths. Look down in verse 24 of the same text. Daniel chapter 6, verse 24. Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. Now that word malicious is an interesting word because it really means literally to eat to pieces. And that's what they did with their mouths. They just had Daniel for lunch. They just chewed him up with their mouths. 
And if you're going to be steadfast in your faith, just know this. People are going to slander you. They're going to gossip about you. They're going to speak mean to you. They're going to speak harshly. They're going to condemn you. They're going to accuse you. They're going to demean you. But this shouldn't be a surprise. One of the issues that there is is a misconception that following Jesus is going to make your life easier. Have you ever read the New Testament? I mean, have you ever read about the early church? See, we love the promises of Jesus. In fact, like I said, there are many over in Round Top and other areas that, that make little signs with all the precious promises of Jesus, and they, they put them on, and we just put them on our fridges, and we just go on with life. But there are other promises of Jesus that we don't kind of promote. There's some promises like this in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus begins in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. When was the last time you walked into somebody's house and saw that one? So be wary of serpents and nymphs of doves, but be on guard against people, for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Now that's the one I want for Christmas right there. That's the sign. You'll even be brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony to them to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, he goes on to say, don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be given to you. Now think about that. That's not an easy gig, right? I mean, little sheep being sent out to a pack of wolves. Yay, I'm all for that. I mean, every now and then I hear some people talk and we get together in these little holy huddles and they say, man, wouldn't it have been great to live back in the time of the apostles? Hmm. I'm not so sure about that one. Because Jesus told them, hey, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst a pack of wolves and y'all know what's going to happen. So Jesus in this section announces to them, and this is kind of what we see Daniel experience, and so I want you to see how this works out in the whole context of the Bible. Here's the first thing you need to know. Retaliation will come from those who are religious. It was the religious establishment that persecuted Daniel. The religious people, all the people in the king's court that were religious, they're the ones that are bringing the persecution. Jesus said, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Did you know that organized religion has been the chief antagonist against the gospel since its inception? We send missionaries out to different parts of the world. My wife and I happen to be some of those missionaries that the IMB have sent out that you hear people talking about. We used to do that, and the Lord blessed us. And I'm just telling you, it wasn't the common people. It wasn't the townspeople. It wasn't the country people. It was always the religious people who gave us the beef. But who were Jesus' enemies? Well, let me tell you, they were the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and everybody else who thought they were religious. Even Daniel's antagonists here were the religious people that just bent on, on worshiping any god. So you're going to be persecuted and retaliated against the religious establishment, but let me take this a step further if I can. You're going to be persecuted by carnal Christians in your own church. Carnal Christians who see your newfound devotion for Jesus, seeing that you have a desire to step up, to be steadfast, to pray more, to take your Bible to everything, to be at everything the church has, and they're going to say, ooh, look who got all spiritual. You know why they say that? Because they're convicted by your commitment. 
And I'm just telling you, man, you're going to be retaliated against in the, from, the, the, from the religious. But then Jesus teaches us retaliation will come from those who are rebellious. From those who are rebellious. Jesus goes on to say you're going to be brought before the governors and kings and Gentiles. And those are the people that are, who are rebelling against God. You see, a steadfast believer is kind of like a 5,000-watt light bulb. Can you imagine that? A 5,000 light, light bulb that's put into a pitch black, really small room. It is blinding. It irritates people. And if you are a Christian, you carry the light of Christ in you. And when you walk into places, you're like a 5,000 watt light bulb in a very dark room. And you irritate people just by your presence. And just like Jesus predicted, you know what happened to them? They were flung to the lions. These, his disciples, they were burned at the stake. They were sewn inside of animal skin so that beasts could be released to chase them and chew them and tear them apart. Molten lead was poured over the tenderest parts of their bodies. Ciro, uh, Caesar Nero would take Christians and put tar over them and then just jab them on a stake and then put them in the ground and set them on fire to eat dinner to by candlelight. I'm just telling you today, you can count on it. This world will cause you pain and difficulty if you are steadfast in Jesus Christ. But then, not only is it from the religious and the rebellious, but retaliation will also come from those who are related. Jesus said, some of the worst persecution is going to come from your own family. Matthew chapter 10, he goes on in verse 21, he says, Now, brother... Will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Well, this is crazy. Do you know that there are still some cultures today when a person converts to Christ, a funeral is held in that, that family member's honor? And they say, He's dead to us, He's dead. Don't even mention his name anymore. In, in the cultures that my wife and I served on the mission field, they would do honor killings. The moment a person came to Christ, they would go out and say, we need to kill this person in the honor of our God. Now, you probably haven't had those things happen to you. You probably haven't had the persecution or retaliation from, from in that way by your own family members. But have you ever discovered that it's the hardest thing in the world to do to witness to your own family? Your own family, they're like, bro, <laughs> We know you. You got this little religious thing right now, but you'll come back. You all got crazy in your head now. We know you're going to come back around. But these two are the promises of Jesus. Retaliation is inevitable. So knowing that, if I'm going to be a steadfast follower of Christ means that retaliation is inevitable, then you have to follow in the text. Then that means that reliance is absolutely essential. That reliance is essential. Look now in verse 16 in the new part of the text, because I had to set the context for you. Verse 16, it says this, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast where? Where does it say, church? Where are my Bible readers at? He cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will what? Will deliver you. Now, now think about this. You may not know this. I'm not trying to impress you, but Daniel was actually thrown into a pit. In those days, it would have been a, a pit with a, with a thing on the top and, and then a different place at the bottom, kind of an opening. That's where they left the lions in and out, but you could throw stuff down in from the top. And inside the pit, it would be divided by, into two sections, and the lions would be on one side, and then they would throw food in on the other side. And so they'd raise this little thing, and the lions would go eat all this stuff, and then they could close it, and they could go clean on the other side. 
So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him in there. And he says, your God whom you serve will be able to deliver you. Now, now why did the king say something? I want you to go back there and I want you to look. He says, your God whom you constantly serve will deliver you. Why, why did he say that? Well, this, has been, this, this king has been on the throne here for at least two years, maybe a little bit over a year. Daniel is old. He isn't afraid of anyone or anything. He's on the king's council. He's in the king's cabinet. So the king has heard these messages about what's happened to Daniel by Daniel over and over again. He's heard about how Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar, what happened with Belshazzar, and, and, and they've recorded this stuff in their history books. So Daniel has been the servant of his God for 70 years, and everybody knows that. That's why he says that. But he says there in verse 17, he says, he said, well, the end of 16, he says, the God whom you serve, he will deliver you. And then he goes on and says, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Verse 18, then the king went off to his palace, spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. In this whole series, do you ever once read Daniel saying, well, God, this ain't fair. I mean, I've served you these 70 years and, and now this? I think a lot of people are there. Yeah, I mean, after all I've done, after all I do, now this is what I get. But, but we don't hear that. Matter of fact, we don't hear Daniel complaining at all. Instead of complaining, we just hear Daniel praying. I mean, he opens his windows and he prays like he's always done. Daniel knew that death was going to, could happen. He definitely knew what a, a, a lion's den was. He definitely understood that the death sentence had been passed. And Daniel's taken in place in this lion's den and he says nothing. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. When Daniel saw those lions, he didn't freak out. Daniel didn't go, man, I hate teeth and I hate lions. <laughs> He didn't love the situation he was in, but he knew his God. And he was steadfast enough to know and believe, okay, so this is it. I've lived these 86 years, and now it's time for the lion's den. And I trust my God. You see, it's easy for me to stand here and talk about this, but this is really where steadfastness has to kick in. This is where the clutching intensity of a drowning man reaching for a raft has to kick in. This is where your faith needs to move from faithfulness to steadfastness. Here's a good prayer to remember, Psalm 51. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 112 speaks of a good man, a godly man, and describing him, it says, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I guess here's my question. What's it going to take to move you from Jesus? And what will it take to move you? What could possibly happen in your life to move you off of Jesus? I mean, is it the death of a child? Is it a lingering disease? Is it the loss of employment? I mean, have you ever said, you know what, I'll keep following Jesus as long as this happens, but if this ever happens, I'm done, I'm out. Can't serve a God like that. I mean, Job lost his estate, all 10 of his children and his health. And Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then as the book goes on, the situation gets worse. And Job says, even though he slay me, what is it? What, what are my Bible readers? I will what? Yeah, I will praise him. Talk about steadfastness. I mean, that is steadfastness. 
So there's Daniel. They sort of take him and they lower him in the pit. And then the king went to his palace. He spends the night in fasting and no musicians were brought to him. And here's the thing that I'm, I'm wondering. I'm like, bro, you just do Daniel in the lion's den. And now we kind of get a flashback to the king not being able to sleep. I mean, I find humor in that. I'm like, is this like, you know, if it was like a movie, it's kind of like you just get to the best part of the movie and there's this guy being slowly let down into this roaring lions and they're just jumping up and they're, they're clawing and just slobbers going everywhere. And then the next scene is you just look and you're in the king's bedroom. It's like, I just can't sleep. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, I don't care about you, king. Take me back to the lion's den. I want to know what's going on there. I want to know where the action is. Retaliation is inevitable, and reliance then has to be essential. And here's Daniel just seeing this is the will of God, and he's just saying, listen, I'm just going to trust my God. You know what this reminds me of? Something we've covered before. This reminds me of Daniel chapter 3 when an edict went out that if they didn't bow down and worship somebody, they would be thrown into the furnace. Remember that? Don't you remember Daniel 3, 17? And they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve, there it is again, they're serving this God, is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he'll rescue us from your hand, O king. But what, church? Even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you set up. You see, reliance is absolutely essential. And these verses back then, Daniel knew them back then, and he still knows them today. And the king's even speaking it over his life. Is the God you serve going to be able to rescue you? And Daniel's saying, oh, yeah, he can. Because remember, we, we, trust, we did this. If I'm going to rely upon God, I have to believe that God can. That's the first thing. I believe that God can. He is able Daniel had seen it happen with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king knew it. The king heard it. Daniel knows that God can. Do you believe in your lion's den situation right now that God can? Do you believe he can? If you're going to rely on him, you have to believe that he's reliable. I believe that you can, but then I got to believe that he will. I believe God will. Daniel replaced any fear with faith. I saw a sign driving back from a wedding that, that I attended over the weekend, and it said, exhale fear and inhale faith. I'm like, dude, this is good. Faith believes not only that God can, but that he will. And see, that's just where some of us struggle. I believe God can, and I believe he can for others, but I don't know that he will for me. And I'm telling you, do you believe God's heart is for you? We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but see, here's where it gets the rubber meets the road. Daniel just said, well, then I'm going to trust him even if he doesn't. Either way, Daniel trusted the Lord with his life and what would happen. He knew that God's will for his life was better than his own will. And the text says down in verse 23, I want you to see it, the last sentence of verse 23, it says, and because he had trusted in his God. That's why he was rescued. You see, I need you to know, do you believe that God is able? Sure, he can. Do you believe that he will? But, but see, do you trust him if he doesn't? You're going to have to rely on him either which way. And see, because retaliation is inevitable and reliance is essential, that leads us to the third point, and that's simply this. Rescue is possible. Rescue is absolutely possible. Look there in verse 19. Then the king rose at dawn, the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. 
Well, that's cool. Verse 20, when he came near to the den of Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Well, that's a good question there. It's a really good question. But he says, servant of the living God, has God been able to deliver you? I think he probably should have asked that the day before. But I need to teach you something here, and I want you to stick with me because we're going to get deep for a second. So I want you to know that in these verses packed within it is a couple of things. Here's the first thing. God may not live up to your wants. See, this is where a lot of people are at. This is why a lot of people are mad at God because they had an expectation of God that God never promised. God may not live up to your wants. Evil happens in this world. So let me explain this. Hang on with me. Verse 21, Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I would found innocent before him. And towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Verse 23, then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no injury, whatever was found on him. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> because he had trusted in his God. Now think about this just for a moment. Isn't that something? He said, my God sent his angel. And now look, I'm safe and I'm sound. Did you know that God has all kinds of angels? Did you know that God has earthquake angels? He does. When the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says an angel came down and that there was an earthquake and the stone was rolled away in front of the tomb. And the reason the stone was rolled away was not to let Jesus out, it was to let other people in. But anyway, God has his what? He has his disciple, his earthquake angels. But then God also has these prison door opening angels. Old Simon Peter was in jail, and God sent one of his prison door opening angels, and we have the first automatic door in the world history. I mean, God just opened up those doors and let Peter out. That's what the angel did. God also has these God, these God-induced, these lion-taming angels. I mean, this angel comes down to this den, and I think he's like, hey, 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 guys, look, look here just a minute. I want to tell you guys something. I want to tell you lying something. Now, one of the Lord's special servants is about to come in here and spend the night, and I don't want you to lay a paw on him. I don't even want you to sniff him. I don't want you to touch a hair on his head. I want you to give him your, your shaggy mane for a pillow, and I want you to see through that he has a really good night. So, so Daniel doesn't go in there alone. You have to know this, that the same God who walked into the fiery furnace with his three friends is the same God who walked into this den of lions at night. And I can almost hear Daniel saying to the lions, hey, Leo, hey, hey Leo, listen, I'm going to sleep on you tonight. So here's what I need you to do. While I'm resting here in the lions, I need you to keep that tail wagging because I don't need any flies on me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's what he said. Maybe it's not. But aren't you thankful that we have a God who can shut the mouths of lions? When we have a God like that, he is able to deliver you from the lions. Then rescue is possible. It is possible. And we all want to be rescued. But God hasn't promised everybody that they would be rescued. God may not always live up to your wants. See, sometimes God doesn't send his angel to save us from the situation. Sometimes God doesn't shut the lion's mouth. I mean, even if you love and believe in your God like Daniel, it doesn't mean that your experience will be the same. And I need you to understand that some texts are meant to be descriptive to tell us what happened, not prescriptive to tell us what will happen in our life. 
And we have to be careful with texts like this, and we just say, well, then whatever, whatever lion situation I get in, God's obligated to rescue me. Be careful. Did Paul the apostle believe in his God? Yeah, but what happened to Paul? Got his head chopped off. Did Isaiah believe in his God? Sure was, but Isaiah was sown in two. Did Peter believe in his God? Yeah, but he was crucified upside down. You see, I believe Daniel was in there, and he said, this is going to be wonderful deliverance either way. Lord, either, either, either I get to live or I get to see you in a few. I mean, either which way I'm winning. I mean, if he had died, Daniel would have come out of that tomb, not saying to Darius, O king, live forever, <laughs> and saying to Jesus, O king, live forever. But you see, some serve the Lord by living well, and some have to serve the Lord by dying well. And I just need you to know that God may not, may not live up to your wants. But here's what I have learned. Here's what the Scripture teaches me. But God always lives up to his word. God always lives up to his word. He may not live up to your wants, but he lives up to his word. See, who was the angel? That's the question. A lot of people have debated that. It could have been like one of the ones I mentioned earlier, but I believe it's the same person, the same angel who was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ who stepped down in this lion's den with Daniel, and I believe they had fellowship the entire night. But this is what God says will happen. You can count on this. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched, nor the flame will burn you. Why? Because his presence is better. Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear, for I am what? With you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31, 8, and the Lord is the one who's going ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus' last words, he says, behold, I am with you. How long? Always. See, while God may not live up to your wants and your expectations, he always lives up to his word, and he will be with you no matter what. But see, there's also something else here, because see, sometimes when we get the short end of the stick and the lions eat us up, people say that ain't fair, and in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the retaliation and the death and the sorrow that we experience, we think people get away with things. But you need to look at verse 24, because God always lives up to his word. Then the king gave the orders, and they brought those men who had initially accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den, and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Think God knows how to handle stuff? Well, just in case, and there is research out there that there's a bunch of scholars who try to make this story here one of the, one of the non-stories in the Bible. This literally couldn't have happened. There's no way. This is too miraculous. Well, if these lions, maybe those lions weren't hungry is how the story goes. Maybe they pre-fed them, and that's why they didn't munch on Daniel. Well, then they just tore some people up, and I'm telling you, they, they're mighty hungry. But let's just acknowledge something. Let's just acknowledge something here that's going to be hard for you when you're reading your Bible. Why did God punish these children and their wives? Why, why did God take kids and wives and kill them? And it seems unfair and cruel 
The Bible is certainly not condoning this. In fact, the book of Ezekiel, God explicitly condemns this kind of cruelty where children are punished for the sins of their parents. But this was common in ancient times. Kings wouldn't just kill their enemies, but everyone in their enemy's family unless the kids try to go up and engage in what their parents did. These were vicious times, and often women and children were the victims of this viciousness. But the Bible is certainly not condoning it. Again, this is more descriptive, telling you what happened, than prescriptive, telling us what we should do. That being said, Darius wasn't the one joining Daniel in the lion's den, but some others took his place. Those who maliciously accused Daniel along with those those families. So so let me give you some theology here for anybody who wants it. And let me just share, I I borrow this from Sinclair Ferguson, but, but this is really good. Think about this. Sinclair says this, he says, in a fallen and sinful world, there is a somber side to the salvation of God's people. The deliverance of Eve's seed is always accompanied by the bruising of the head of the serpent. Christ delivers those who were subject to a lifelong fear of death by destroying the one who had the power of death. The dark side to Daniel's deliverance is that judgment falls on those who seek to destroy the kingdom of God. They, their families, even their wives, were cast into the lion's den and immediately devoured because their gods were unable to deliver even from death, but our God is. Here's the point. Sin always has to be punished. And today, if God has saved you, we shouldn't be celebrating that others have to be punished. We should be thankful. Sin will be punished. God always brings about justice. No one gets away with anything. And in the famous words of a famous preacher, R.G. Lee, payday is coming someday. But here's what God says. Proverbs 11.8 says, The righteous is rescued from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. Isn't it funny that those who had maliciously, remember that word, ate Daniel to pieces with their mouths? Guess what happened to them? They were eaten to pieces by the lives of, by the, by the mouths of the lions. They dug a pit and threw Daniel in it. But Psalm 7, 14 through 16 says, Behold, an evil person is pregnant with injustice. He conceives harm and gives birth to lies. He has dug a pit and hollered it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His harm will return on his own head. His violence will descend from the top of his own head. Don't you see that God may not live up to your wants, but he will always live up to his word. We are never going to get away with anything in God's kingdom. God can shut the mouths of people. God can shut the mouths of lions. He certainly can. But those who dig pits for the righteous to fall into will fall into it themselves. You can trust that God will do this. We can leave vengeance with the Lord. And it may not look like things are right right now, but trust me, he will make them right. See, retaliation is inevitable. Trust is essential. Rescue is possible. Then reach, then is unmistakable. Reach is unmistakable. Look in verse 25. We are moving quickly. Verse 25, he says this. He says, then King Darius, the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land, may your peace abound. And what this tells me is, is one, a couple of things. First of all, it tells me that God may use you in such a way that others proclaim his greatness. That God may use you in such a way that others proclaim his greatness. Darius has been clearly impacted by God's miraculous deliverance of Daniel. And once more, the language of Daniel anticipates what's going to happen in the kingdom in Revelation 5 through 7, that all tribes, peoples, nations, people of every language will be gathered around the, the throne. But he says something. He says, peace be multiplied to you. 
Then verse 26, he says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of the kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Now, what you need to understand is in that decree, it recognizes God's greatness, even his superiority over every other God. And this is a pagan king that's now declaring the greatness of God. And your reach may be that if you so live steadfastly in your faith, God will cause other people whom you are trying to reach to declare the greatness of your God. That's incredible to me. And then this also counsels out the irrevocable edict of, of the previous one in, in verses 6 through 9, that if anybody prayed to this God, anybody, any other God but this king, so now he's rewriting another edict. You see, Proverbs 21, 1 is still true. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. You see, God may use you in such a way that others proclaim his greatness. And as a steadfast believer, your reach is unmistakable. But then we see this. God may use you in such a way that others proclaim his glory. That others proclaim his glory. Think about what Darius says about the glory of God. Look there in verse 25. He says that our God is global. He's the the God of all peoples, nations, and languages. There's so much I could share there, but I'm going to keep going. He says that this God is personal. He's the living God. He says, for he is the living God. He says that our God is eternal, that he endures forever. He says that our God is sovereign, that his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He says that he's faithful. He delivers and rescues. He says that our God is imminent. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Imminent is a word that means he's close by and engaged and not far away. This is not a God that's in heaven who's uninvolved. He's actively involved in our work, actively pursuing us, actively working in our life if we just know how to look for it. But then he says that God is Savior. He says, who is delivered, in verse 27, Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, this is a God who didn't leave people to perish in a dark pit, but he came into the pit with them and then rescued them out of it. That's proclaiming the glory of God. But listen, can I tell you, how did that king learn about that? How did that kingdom know that about this God? How did that happen? Simply because Daniel lived with faithfulness and steadfastness in front of them. And I'm here today to tell you that, that living here in the Grange is like living in Babylon, and it is not a place for spiritual weaklings. But those who live with faithfulness and steadfastness, Daniel 12, 3 says, we will shine like the brightness of the heavens above, like the stars forever and ever. Think about this unmistakable reach. Daniel, one man impacts literally two empires. Two empires, but, but as I've told you before, think about this. You need to know this. We're here at this time of year. It's absolutely amazing. But those three wise men called magi, whether you know it or not, magi is a Babylonian word. Daniel so impacted those magi that they continue to look for this star and they continue to say, man, the one that Daniel said is coming to rescue the people must be coming. And Daniel has impacted us today through his steadfastness. The reason those wise men find the star of Jesus is because of Daniel's steadfastness. One man, one man reached two kingdoms. It doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes the right one. And one person, steadfast in their God, can influence a nation, influence a family. Never underestimate the power of a godly life. Never. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, here's the word, immovable, steadfast, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your reach is unmistakable. But let me close you. Now it's time to wake up. If you've been asleep, pay attention, because now, now I've just got all that out of the way so I could tell you this. Because this is the part where the story of Daniel and the lion's den, you need to know what it's really about. Because in my humble opinion, it's been mispreached for a lot of years. Let me tell you what I think it's really about. It's telling us that redemption is available. You see, one of those mistakes that we make with the story is we turn it into a hero tale. Where we leave all saying, hey, let's be like Daniel. And I've heard that preached so many times. And I'm just telling you this. There's certainly much of Daniel's life to imitate. But can I tell you this, the main point of this story and the main point of any other Old Testament story is not to have us follow some hero and emulate their life. That is never the point of the Old Testament stories is for us to emulate somebody's life. It is to help us understand that we have a savior to adore. The text is pointing us to the one that is coming. If you try to copy the example of Daniel, If you try to follow the example of David, Abraham, Esther, or Ruth, you're going to end up discouraged and feeling like a failure. No matter how many times I try to coach myself, pep talk myself in the mirror, I can't endure. I can't stay steadfast in my faith. I may succeed for a moment, but then I fall down again and I get discouraged and helpless feeling. But listen. Once you see that Daniel's story, like every other story in the Old Testament, is there to point you to Jesus, this story takes on a new meaning. You see, there's a lot of parallels between Daniel, what he goes through, and what Jesus went through. So think with me. Both Daniel and Jesus are pictures of innocence. Daniel is one of three men in the Old Testament about whom there's no mention of a single flaw. The prophet Ezekiel says that Daniel is one of the three most righteous people ever to live. And you know this of Jesus, he lived totally without sin, no impure thought or motive ever entered his head. Both Daniel and Jesus had jealous political leaders drum up false charges against them to get them killed. Both Daniel and Jesus had the primary judge in charge. For Daniel, that was Darius. For Jesus, it would have been Pilate. This primary judge declared them innocent and tried to spare them. Both Daniel and Jesus were thrown into a pit whose entrance was covered by a large stone and sealed with a government seal left for dead. Both Daniel and Jesus had loving friends run to their tomb early in the morning. Both Daniel and Jesus walked out of the tomb alive the next morning. Both Daniel and Jesus, after their ordeal, were raised up as second in command over the kingdom. Daniel under Darius, Jesus under his father. But there's one big difference between Daniel and Jesus. Daniel goes on to eventually die, but Jesus defeated death. And we do a disservice to this story when we reduce it to just a little kid's story about being brave and courageous. We've made this fun little image of Daniel down there with all these little kittens, and I'm here today to tell you that this is not a kid's adventure tale. The only reason we think this is a kid's story is because we've never lived in a place where lions roam. Lions are vicious creatures, and those who live in their proximity know that you can't take them for granted for a single second. And if I had the time left this morning, I would tell you a gory, gruesome detail about a lion attack. And the only reason that I would want to do that is to tell you that I want you to know for a moment the horror of a lion attack. 
Why? Because Daniel and the lion's den is no kid story. This is a horror story. And I want you to feel that horror because it is pointing to something more horrible. Psalm 22 says that on the cross, Jesus was thrown to the lions of judgment, which circled him, taunted him, and then tore him apart. And Jesus was far more innocent than Daniel was. And before Jesus' body even reached six hours, those lions had devoured him and torn him to pieces. But unlike Daniel... No angel came to stand by and rescue Jesus and shut the lion's mouth. So what that tells me is simply this, that Jesus bears my sin. Jesus bears my sin. Jesus went into the pit of death for me. Theologically, for all you who want to pay attention to theological things that I try to teach you, listen to me. And this is where Jesus and Daniel are different. You see, when Daniel came forth from the lion's den, he came out alone, and no one else was saved by God's deliverance of him. But when Jesus came out of the tomb, he came out as the head of a mighty company of people who've been redeemed from the pit through his death. And because of the work of Christ and dying in the pit on behalf of his people, now God can look at you and me and say, we are not guilty. We can go free because Jesus died in the lion's den of sin for us. Now watch this. Because Jesus bears my sin, friends, therefore now I can be steadfast. See, here's the thing. If I know that, if I know that Jesus has taken on himself all the judgment for my sin, then listen to me. And if I know that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that means in whatever I'm going through right now, I can know that God is with me, that he's standing beside me, because anything, anything that would have turned God against me, Jesus removed at the cross. If God is for me, who can be against me? The psalmist says, the Lord is my strength and my shield, my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't have to be afraid of those who can kill my body because I have a God who can preserve the soul. That God is with me. He is with me in the lion's den of cancer. He is with me when when the lion's den takes my family members. He is with me when I go through the lion's den of injustice. He's with me in the lion's den of struggle and failure and frustration. He promises me that he will never leave me. He promises to overcome through me, constantly whispering to me, greater is he that is in you than anything that is in this world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff do what? They comfort me. You see, knowing that Jesus, to whom Daniel's life points, is with me, gives me the courage to face danger like Daniel and to be steadfast like Daniel and the ability to keep going on when I can't be consistent. So yes, I thank God for an example like Daniel, but I thank God for a Savior like Jesus. He took my punishment in the lion's den and now promises to preserve me in any den of lions I face today. So, man, if our team would come. I'm going to skip this last story. Y'all don't need to hear another one. See, Jesus had 12 disciples, and he said to them, he told them to go, and within one generation, the known world heard the gospel. I think that's steadfastness. But can I tell you today that you'll never be able to be steadfast and use powerfully a God until you... First, know the Lord Jesus. Can I say here as I close that I am certainly happy that you're here. 
I'm overjoyed that you're here. But can I ask you right now in your heart of hearts to answer this question, do you know Jesus Christ personally? See, my goal has never been to get a lot of people in this room. My goal is to have and introduce and to give people an opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus. So I'm asking this morning, do you know him? Are you sure that you know him? I'm not asking you if you're a nice person. You might be a wonderful person. I'm not asking if you have a high intellect or an advanced education, and you may. You might be influential. You might have been baptized. I'm not asking you that. Do you know Christ? Do you know him personally? I'm asking this morning, do you know this Jesus to whom Daniel points? So I'm wondering right now in this room, would you just, would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment and please listen to my instructions. As you're bowing your heads and you got your eyes closed and no one's looking around, I want you to think about who you are honestly before God. And I, wonder, I want you to ask us, have I really ever committed my life to Christ? Maybe you're saying, man, I know about this God. I believe in God, and I agree with you. Jesus is a man who lived historically, but I, but I don't love him. But I really want to change that. I really want to turn from my sins, and I want to turn my life over to Jesus. I want to know him. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a home in heaven. And see, if you sense that right now in your heart, if you sense that you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus for some reason, you just know inside of your heart of hearts that you're being convicted and that God is calling you to place your faith in Jesus, would you right now, nobody looking, but would you just slip your hand up really quickly and let me see it? Thank you. I see those hands. You're just saying, man, today I realize that I need Jesus to forgive myself. I've known about him, but now I need to know him. Anybody else, just quickly raise your hand, anybody. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you real quickly, and then in just a moment, listen, listen to my instructions. But let me pray. Father, for those who have raised their hands in this room, and what they're about to do, I pray, God, that you'd make it so real to them, so overwhelming to them that they would just never turn back. I pray that they would discover Jesus, your love, and what it means to have their sins forgiven and washed away and have purpose in life and purposeful future. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. So right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to start singing here in just a moment, and here, here's the deal. I want you to pay close attention to me. I'm going to have some people that are going to come up here. Pastor Justin and some others are going to come down here, and they're going to be to the right and the left. But if you need to pray about anything other than what I'm about to say, then you're going to go see these people. Maybe you want to pray about steadfastness in your life. Maybe you're in a lion's den. You just want somebody to pray for you. You're going to go see them. But listen, if you raised your hand just a few minutes ago, I need you to come right here to the front with me because I'm going to lead you in a prayer to give your life to Christ. And we're going to do that out loud, and we're going to do that together. Because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. Following Jesus is public. It's not private. So... If you need to pray, you're going to come. If you need to receive Christ, anybody else who wants to receive Christ, just meet me right here at the altar and we're going to pray. So we're going to sing.